If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome back to the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like that's just not sports. I am your host, Brad Burke. I am a sports marketer in Chicago. And on today's show, we've got USA Today's Hemel Javeri breaking down the odds and ends and sometimes very odds of Keanu Reeves's filmography. This is a discussion you will not want to miss. Trust me. And also with me today, Gareth. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Gareth, um, you know, in in cancer treatments in New York City, not feeling great today. We're gonna try and catch up with him next week. So, what did I do? I dusted off the little black book in my drawer, looked up the number of a blast from the past for this program <laughs> and got him on the line miraculously. That's right. It is producer emeritus, Joe Reed. Joe, how are you, my man? Oh, Brad, I'm doing great. It's so good to hear your voice. And um, it's weird. I'm on a phone line. I, I used to be uh, in the room with a, with a mic high quality. Now I'm, now I'm dialing in from across the, <laughs> across the country, but like you said before we got on, uh, I've taught you well, and um, I trust everything's recording, and all the levels are sounding great. Yeah, well, I wouldn't trust that until <laughs> we get into post, bro. Um, yeah. Look, now, look, you're in Seattle. <laughs> I, I feel bad because there was a time when, like, Washington and New York were the epicenters of coronavirus, and like, yeah, of course, the just not sports covers both of the uh, both the territories. <laughs> what's your life been like? Are you just like, have you literally been in an apartment for two months now, or what's the deal? Yeah. So, um, yeah, beginning of March, we were, you know, put on statewide lockdown and did working from home. And since then, I mean, the only outings have been, you know, the gro occasional grocery run every eight, 10, 12 days, uh, the occasional walk around the neighborhood. Um, you can tell that people are starting to get a little bit sick of this because, you know, we're doing a little drive around just to get out. And we kind of have a similar lakefront, lakefront path on Lake Washington that you guys have in Chicago. And we, we did a drive down there a couple weeks ago and boy, were there a lot of people without masks just being yeah. like, you know what? It's a 80 degree day out of the blue. We're going to get out and, and just say, screw it. So we're doing good. We're hunkered down. We're staying in touch with family. Uh, we're zoomed out. I mean, I think everybody is, <laughs> I just, you know, it's such a strange thing to replace normal social interaction. You, you know, you can't have side conversations. You pop into a meeting, you can't kind of sneak away. You just delete yourself from the call. It's, it's weird to adjust, but we're doing good, uh, healthy, uh, weather's turning here in Seattle. So, um, yeah, things are good. Speaking Blue sky of, day here. Speaking of zoomed out, man, like my sister arranged for, like I, I've done a couple like kind of long distance family gatherings over zoom, like on the weekends. Mm. And then not long ago, my sister put one on for like 6 PM central on a Monday. And of course I missed it cause I was still work. I was working until like six 30. Then I look up and I'm like, <laughs> sorry. And yeah, just like, we're going to have to have sort of a detente uh, with family and friends that, you know, maybe you can't make it to all these. Yes, 100 percent. Yeah, it's it's nothing against you. I just I spent seven hours on Zoom calls today. I can't do another one <laughs> where, you know, mom and dad try and figure out how to use it or something. So right now, man. let's jump. To, you're going to stick around for distractions. I can't wait to hear yeah. what, what's been on your on your brain of late. Right now, let's jump to my interview with Hemel Javeri of USA Today. Uh, she does a lot of really great 
work about sports, pop culture. She's done a lot of really provocative work of late peeling back the curtain on the NHL's rather clumsy attempts at uh, diversity and inclusion, which I've really enjoyed. She also hosts a podcast called 10 Movies, where she and her co-host, Brian Minter, break down 10 films movie by movie from a different actor. And one of those actors, Keanu Reeves. So when I reached out, I was like, what do you want to talk about? She's like, let's do Keanu, man. And Joe, we do Keanu. We do Keanu? Keanu? (laughs) Keanu. Okay, there we go. Keanu, yeah, Keanu. Yeah, we do Keanu, man. We go all the way back to the Bill and Ted days. We debate whether the sequel is going to be any good. We, We go point break versus... Speed Keanu. We we break down the Paula Abdul Keanu Reeves video for Rush Rush. Have you ever seen that, Joe? Of course not. You're too I, young. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm going to YouTube it after this. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> and then we get into Matrix. Oddly, Hemel with some hot Matrix takes that you are not going to want to miss. And of course, we talk about the John Wick universe. So, Joe, as we go to the interview, favorite Keanu performance? Oh, man. Um, I, I'm only going to say, oh shit. I'm going to say John Wick only because I, it's funny that you mentioned this. I didn't know this was the interview subject for today. I was just reading something about John Wick this morning about how his name was going to be something else. Uh, and Keanu was the one who made it John Wick, like kind of accidentally. Um, and, uh, he was out there calling it John Wick for weeks and weeks, even though that wasn't the actual name. And so they changed the name of the movie to John Wick because they were like, we're getting all this free promo from Keanu Reeves messing up the name of the movie. <laughs> and, um, so I, I forget what the actual one was. People can look it up, but, um, that's the one that jumps to mind recently. And, uh, th- those, those three movies are pretty fun. By the way, fa- rather famously in the, in the lore of this show, Joe, I, for years thought that his character in the matrix was Neil. Not Neo, just Neil. <laughs> <laughs> I remember copping to that once and someone's like, bro, what are you talking? You thought the whole time, the whole time they're like, Neil is the one. And I was like, I don't oh, know why man. they named him Neil, but okay. That's a pretty lame name, man. Futuristic <laughs> movie, Neil. That's pretty good. All right. So enjoy the conversation on Keanu Reeves and stick around afterwards. Joe and I will be back to distract you. Yo, Shaq, I'm over here. It's always a wild card what my uh, guests are going to choose. You chose Keanu Reeves. I was very excited. I was like, all right, this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and then I had a chance to kind of dive into your podcast, um, you know, 10 Movies, where you had done an entire season on Keanu. What was the experience like going into his career arc the way you did and kind of coming out the other side with with a new appreciation or new perspectives on you know these movies that we've grown up with for decades? It was, first and foremost, really fun. And I am of a certain age, so I kind of grew up with Keanu like a lot of people in my generation did. And to travel back in time and see what stages he has occupied in his career, you know, kind of mirrored pretty much everybody else's life, right? Like, Keanu grew up with us. So it was was really fun to kind of go backward. And I obviously came out of it with just a much greater appreciation for not just the amount of work that he has done because he's just put out so many movies, but how he has kind of managed to stay true to 
what he wants to do, right? Like he tried the Hollywood thing, realized that it didn't work, went back to like trying to create artistic things that were fulfilling for him. And that was really inspiring because I think as we all grow older, you know, we're kind of tempted by not just taking the easy road, but what's going to be most financially secure. And we compromise a lot. And you could see that with Keanu that you're like, oh, here are all these compromises he made. Then he realized that it wasn't really worth making those compromises. I'm going to go back to doing the thing that I really love to do. Um, So it's really eye opening that way. I had a hearty laugh at you on Twitter, kind of pushing back on that Atlantic piece that David Sims wrote about how, you know, Keanu was underappreciated back then. Now we've rediscovered him. And you're kind of like, yo, there's some people who have always liked Keanu. And I know personally speaking, like I was, I wrote hard for Point Break. Like I liked him early on. So can you define why you push back on that opinion and, and this sort of, you know, kind of retrofit narrative that's developed that is he was somehow overlooked by folks of our generation? Yeah, I I think the reason I pushed back a lot on that piece was because he might have been overlooked by critics. He was (laughs) not. And that was the whole point is that David Sims was just kind of like, oh, well, Keanu was great. It was really weird because we had just gone through an entire Keanu renaissance, right? Like tons of people had just loved it. So the timing and the framing of that entire piece was weird. But my main complaint was that critics had overlooked him for like 98% of his career. They had written him off as being too popular and starring in action movies or bad romantic comedies and just never really paid attention to him. But now with the internet and stuff like Twitter and social media, you get a lot more people who are able to weigh in on just the things that they like. And you can see that forever Keanu has had kind of this like consistent groundswell of support. You could say that he's a cult star. He really went through a a phase in the nineties where he was like, he was a star. He was an A-list superstar. He was in speed. He was in point break. He was in all these rom-coms. So he definitely had his moment to me. It just felt like a real blind spot for David Sims. And he tried to make it as if that was a blind spot for everybody. And it's like, no dude, that was just you. (laughs) Well, and the thing about Keanu that it's, that's tough is that he's undeniably magnetic. I mean, you're drawn to him in so many different kind of distinct ways. And yet, if I were to pose the question, like, is Keanu a good actor? I'm going to get a lot of different responses depending on who I'm talking to. From your perspective, as someone who enjoys his movies and, and as someone who's who's kind of broken down his role in the culture um, you know, more broadly... What do you think it is about him that draws people in and why has he become this interesting Rorschach test for for audiences? I, I think that's a great way to, to phrase it. Um, I think the most compelling thing about Keanu is his presence. And that is so hard to define. It is a combination of uh, the way Keanu looks at the camera. It's a combination of uh, that deadpan flat line reading, which leads a lot of people to say, oh, he's, you know, he has a very specific type of actor. He's not a great actor. Um, And I think that there is this kind of uh, genuineness and sincerity that comes through. When we we watched My Own Private Idaho for the podcast that we did, and uh, in that film, like, there's just so much authenticity that he projects. And I feel like that's just a lot of naturalness to who he is. Um, And then you look at things like John Wick, uh, where he has very little lines. It's all action. But again, it's presence, right? That is what I think is the most compelling thing about Keanu. And that's taking out everything that we know about him from 
from, you know, the tragic part of his life and all the stories that you've heard about Keanu Reeves being a great guy, even, even if you strip all that away, just being on screen, I think he's got that. Yeah, there's this great, I can't tell if, if I would describe it as an interview or more of an essay with you online where you talk about his authenticity and that as an appeal. Um, and I think in the in recent years, especially Keanu at press conference, Keanu in the world has become as compelling for people to a certain degree. What do you think it is about him that has allowed him to kind of connect with people as truly authentic, especially at a time when we know more about celebrities than ever. And it's easier than easier than ever to sniff out the BS. Right. I mean, mm-hmm, he should mm-hmm. he should not be this sort of sacrosanct in terms of that authenticity. But yet it, it you don't find that many counter narratives to that. No, you really don't. And there's two explanations. One, which is that he might just genuinely be a good guy. Right. Like he might just <laughs> actually be the rare person that we don't hear those stories because there aren't those stories. Uh, And the other thing is that if you are the kind of person that has managed to stay private and managed to keep staying private, that has that its own lore, you know, to it. Um, I I don't even want to argue that I think Keanu's PR team is doing a great job, like suppressing all these stories. I don't (laughs) think that's it at all. I think that, it, it just is a person who managed to figure out a way to live authentically. And that is what people are really attracted to, right? It's, oh, you know, social media doesn't make sense for him because he just does not want to share that much. Um, and in this day and age, that's the most attractive thing about him is that he wants to keep his private stuff private. Right. I mean, you mentioned social media, by the way. I think, you know, just given uh, anyone in the sports world is legally obligated to connect everything to the last dance. So better, (laughs) better meme, sad Keanu or crying Jordan? Oh, no, that's such a great question. Um, The the better meme is obviously crying Jordan. I think that (laughs) just in terms of how widespread it is. That's really the the better meme. Sad Keanu, though, is just the art house meme that should never die. It's so great. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into the films. Let's kind of go. I mean, he's an actor with such distinct phases to his career. And I suppose all the ones who endured have that to a certain degree. But I kind of want to start in those early kind of it's hard to describe how I was. I was struggling with how do I even define this era? But like dim but lovable Keanu, Mm -hmm. you know, that like parenthood Keanu, Bill and Ted Keanu. And and I I guess I I wanted to kind of zero in there. How do you think he's able to pull off these characters who are are undoubtedly supposed to resonate through the screen as dumb or um, or spaced out? And yet you you really do connect with them. You root for them. It is not a demeaning caricature at all even as it's played for laughs like why do you think he was able to kind of create that lane in ways that I think other actors if they drop them into that role would have either gone way too mean-spirited you know like Mm kind of Jack Blackish, or just way Mm -hmm. too way too nice where they're not also you know going for the laugh yeah I, I think that's a really fine line to thread and I mean I'm not sure how he was able to do it but to all of those characters really have in common is this kind of uh, genuine kind heartedness, right? Like if you think about the parenthood character, if you think about him in uh, Bill and Ted's, uh, it's so easy to make fun of them for being dumb and being stupid. 
but you want to root for them and you want them to succeed because they're very genuine. Like these are not mean spirited young men. And when we have so many um, characterizations right now of masculinity that are so toxic and they're so threatening and they're so aggressive, like it's such a breath of fresh air to be like, Oh, Keanu, right? Like he's not (laughs) mean spirited. He is it's fine being dumb is not the one who is trying to be the alpha male and trying to one up everybody. Um, so I think that's what he's able to do. And like you said, like you could either go Jack Black or like you go Brendan Fraser in the caveman or right. that, um, yeah. that movie. Uh, right. Like it, it goes bad either way. Um, but he's managed to, to find that balance between I'm okay laughing at myself and being comedic, uh, but also playing everything with a lot of sincerity. And that's really the key. Encino Man. Great pull, by the way. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Encino Man. I was like, it's like with him and Polly Shore. Oh, yeah, classic. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, before we move on, Bill and Ted, the, the new sequel coming out, now that Keanu sort of redefined himself in like this uh minimalist uh you know almost like eastwoodish you know wave to so many mm-hmm. fans in John Wick how surprised do you feel like this new generation is going to be when he rolls out as which oh, shit was he bill or was he ted he was ted right he was, he was yeah ted. he's ted okay, theodore yeah. logan <laughs> <laughs> okay there you go H- how do you think that's going to play i i think it's going to be great i think that because he has built up so much goodwill and people have waited so long for this movie that it could be an absolute junker and people would still be okay with it. I think that everybody in that movie and in that cast is going to ride that wave. Um, I'm really curious to see how really young people, like people whose first experience is John Wick are, are going to react to it because they only know Keanu as John Wick and it might be a huge stretch for them. But for the rest of us, for, for those of us that are a lot older, can kind of we'll be able to hearken back to it. Um, and I get the feeling that he plays a father in that, from what I know about the film. So oh, I think that'll be really, yeah, I think that'll be really fun to watch. <laughs> well, keeping in that early that early era, you know, what do you think is the better sort of super earnest performance, My Own Private Idaho, or him in the Rush Rush video? Which, if you've seen it. <laughs> The Paul Abdul song, he's really going for it. I mean, incredibly. (laughs) Oh, that's a tough question. Um, My Own Private Idaho is one of my favorites, but that movie is really River Phoenix's movie. Like, it's great that Keanu is in it, but that's a River Phoenix film for sure. So I'm going to go with Paula Abdul. I'm going to go with Rush Rush. That is, you know, untold dramatic depths in that that, uh, song. It's (laughs) honestly in the Mount Rushmore of real actors in music videos, you know? You'd have to put it up there with, like, Alicia Silverstone and the Aerosmith stuff. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, there was that whole phase when people were still making music videos. Such so much fun. Um. Look, and then clearly you get that, you know, by this point, he has established himself. I mean, to you, to you, what, what movie do you think established him as a star in the making? Ah, uh, that's a great question. We talked about this on 10 movies and we go back and forth between what established him. And, and because you specifically, specifically said star in the making, I'm going to go with Point Break. I think when yeah. he does 
speed, he's a star, right? He's ready to carry that movie. Nobody knew Sandra Bullock then. He was the main lead. And Point Break is the gamble. That is the one where, okay, after it came out, everyone was like, this is our guy. Which of the two do you think is the more enduring performance? And I hate to put them up against each other because I really love both those movies. But the, the the Point Break versus Speed, Keanu, there are pretty marked differences between the performance he's giving, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how you think they've aged in terms of which one maybe is the more iconic of that era. So this is, again, so tough. And... Uh, because I've watched both of them recently, I think that speed is probably the one that has aged the best because it's this really incredible taut action thriller that 20 some years later, maybe even 25 years later, there's no wasted space in that film. And some things in Point Break don't actually age very well. I had a lot of problems with the Lori Petty character, Gary Busey. I don't think you would cast Gary Busey as, as that lead now. <laughs> Um, so it's tough. Like, I think that he gives, obviously both movies are incredible and both like occupy a really specific space, but point break to me is a little bit more of like a cult Keanu classic and speed is the enduring action film. Yeah. I mean, that's a great take. And I I like how you say that, that speed, it just doesn't have that wasted space. It is, it is such a great movie and it's almost a miracle. He didn't do the sequel, right? I mean, how, how do you think about that in the age of, where every actor was trying to get their claws into a franchise. What do you think that says about him and his choices that he was like, the script is trash. I'm not doing this movie. It's incredible. It's, and that is what makes people love Keanu is that he really was like, you know, it was fun to do the the first one. I'm, I'm glad I did it. And even if you're throwing literally a trainload of money at me, I'm not interested in the sequel because the script isn't good. Um, And that is what makes Keanu Keanu. He's not really afraid to say no to things and say, you know what? I I just don't want to do this. I think on a more practical level, he probably had tons of other offers after speed. So he was like, I don't need to go back to it. Right. I mean, look, and you coming in in from the sports perspective, I mean, do you buy him as, uh, do you buy Johnny Utah as Rose Bowl winning quarterback (laughs) or losing quarterback, whatever it was? I absolutely don't. I we, Now that I work a lot, now, when I saw it, I was like, whatever, it doesn't make any difference to me. Of course, now from a sports perspective, he is not a college quarterback by any means. And forget about just like the physical attributes, but we're talking about kind of the way he carries himself and like the mental fortitude and, and all these other things. He's he's not a college QB. <laughs> I mean, the, the, I did listen to your hardball episode and I could see, mm-hmm. I could, I could really hear the the, the sort of co- conflict of it's not a great movie. Y- y- you had complicated feelings about it, and and I I even think the title of that episode was like the movie that should not have been made. But how how do you reconcile that movie? It's a curious choice for him at the time, but he's always mm-hmm. been sort of in between his action franchises, doing kind of these things that he seems to have a passion point for. But where mm-hmm. where do you feel about? hardball now and its place in his overall filmography i i think it's hard to fault him for it i think that very specific to the context and the time period that it was being made this is how movies about 
uh, race and diversity and the inner city and inclusion were being told at that moment. There was not a lot else happening unless it was coming from Spike Lee, right? It was right. always through the, the lens of a, a white male character kind of having his eyes opened, like that awakening. We, we don't make movies like that too much anymore, which is great. But it's hard to say that because that's all there was, right? And, and Hardball, like I said, has its has like some terrible editorial choices that it made but uh, its heart is in the right place Keanu's heart is in the right place he gives not his best performance but uh, just considering the sheer volume of things that he's done though right like he has just made so many movies it's not every one of those is going to be a winner all right well speaking of that let's get into your hottest of hot takes right I believe you have no emotional connection to the matrix. Is that correct? Oh God, that's the hottest of hot takes. Yes. Is it, is is that just because maybe the, the elements of the movie or, or just mm-hmm. aren't there for you? Or is there something about the way he's playing it that you're like, eh, I'm just not, I'm not feeling it. Yeah. I think that's an, that's probably the most divisive opinion I have on Keanu Reeves. And I think you're absolutely right in pointing out the subtleties and the shift of when he kind of is playing the the character whose name I don't even remember, but then when he turns into Neo, like it's, it's again, that physicality that he's so good at that I think is really underrated about his performance. Um, for me, the matrix, I think is a movie that just doesn't work for me anymore right now. I remember watching it decades ago being blown away like everybody else was but it never really stayed with me it was again a movie that i think might just resonate more with men in terms you know how they can relate more to that feeling of alienation that really hyper specific masculinity that that movie is talking about um so i think that's part of it i don't think so much his performance in that everything in that movie has been really co-opted and subsumed into our everyday culture and then like Mm -hmm. cinematic language so that watching it now doesn't feel fresh. Right. And that's not the problem of the matrix. It's just that it was, has been metabolized so deeply into popular culture that it's hard to kind of look at the original product. It's like Casablanca. You already know all the lines, you know, all the beats. So when you watch the movie, you feel like you're kind of watching a cliche, which is not fair, but that's what it is. (laughs) That's a great way to put it. But look, you are a fan of John Wick movies. I Uh, love them. why, Why do you think, and I want to get into the mythology of it for a second, but like, before we do that, why do you think this particular movie, which is the the, the parallel I'm going to draw to it is like when Vin Diesel did Pitch Black, if you remember that movie, and it was mm, like a little bit. Yeah. And it's like, oh, wow. He did this kind of like subversive sci fi, but it's pretty gritty. And then they make the sequel and it's, you know, Chronicles of Riddick and it's just garish and ridiculous <laughs> and like a wedding cake with, you know, with with, with guns mm-hmm. in it. Something about that first movie, though, was just a really gritty action movie. It was kind of removed from the mythology that would come. I was pretty shocked. As someone who didn't see it in theaters, I was was like, why is this catching on? Everyone's talking about this movie. What what do you think it was that connected with the culture? And why do you think Keanu had that extra act that has just, I mean, really reestablished him again as one of the preeminent action stars, but not from another Matrix sequel or something like Speed, but from a very kind of tiny action movie. Yeah, it's it's so interesting to think about Keanu in terms of John Wick, because uh, John Wick is 
does not get popular if Keanu does not star in it. Like this is one of those moments where the lead is inextricable from the success of the film. Sometimes there's movies that you watch and the movie itself is just so good that it kind of doesn't really matter who the lead is. Like you could, you could switch out the main lead actor and you'd still have a lot of success. But John Wick really has to rely on the context that Keanu is coming into it. First, he already is this uh, aging Hollywood actor. So he already has uh, this reputation as somebody who has been around the block a few times, right? This is, we're coming off of the sad Keanu meme. He'd gone through this whole period where people were like, what's going on with Keanu? Is he okay? And when he does John Wick, you have this, he's stepping into this genre of old guys who, you know, kick butt. Um, So Keanu has to be in it. But I think a large part of it is also the context that they set up for John Wick. He, the dog is the thing that gets the most attention, right? I don't want to focus too much on the dog because yes, that's kind of the, the inciting incident. Like he's grieving it, but they give him this great backstory, right? His wife has died. He just does not have anything else to do. And he's just a man trying to mourn. And whether people are not understand that on a very conscious level or kind of responding to it subconsciously, I think that's there too. Like there's this great emotional weight to John Wick as a character. And I don't, and I think that people can't help but conflate that emotional weight with sometimes like the sadness that Keanu has just as a person, right? Like you mentioned the sad Keanu meme, it's just always there with him, right? This like existential ennui. Yeah. Look, there's a scene in Barry where Noho Hanks, like, what am I supposed to do? Go to the John Wick assassin hotel with the help wanted sign. (laughs) And it got me thinking about how much are you into the ever expanding mythology? Because what was a pretty taut little shoot 'em up is like, yeah, is like now, like, I feel like we're having the same conversation about where John Wick's going to go in the way that we do with is Fast and Furious going to be on on a rocket ship in, in two years. Yeah, it's sometimes you kind of just wish that people would call it quits. I'm not there with John Wick. I really like what they have done with expanding that franchise in terms of building out the universe and bringing new characters into the fold. But a lot of that has to do with who they are choosing to bring into the fold. You've got Halle Berry. She is Mm -hmm. an older woman who is playing this role. And you've got Angelica Houston coming in. It's just a very mature franchise, right? And I don't mean mature in the sense of like everybody in it is old. I mean mature in the sense that it's not trying to talk down to its audiences. Um, There might be a time when I'm kind of over it and I think we should just get back to John Wick kicking butt. But for now, I think they've managed to do a pretty good job with it. (laughs) So as we close out, I might just hit you with a couple lightning round uh, things here. Do do you have like a, a most overlooked Keanu movie that most people just have just wiped from their minds? Mm, yeah, I, I think it's Lake House. I think not enough people appreciate the absolute insanity that is the Lake House. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to take your word. I, I have. I, I, it's the one where it's like they're trading letters from a different timeline, right? Yeah, you really have to just abandon all rational <laughs> thinking when you walk into that film and just be like, okay, this is what it says it is, and this is what it it is. I think to me that's my underrated pick. <laughs> Is there anything that you just would consider too bad to give another shot? Or do you look at his overall filmography and say, all right, I can get on board with, I mean, I'm thinking like Johnny Mnemonic and other stuff like that. No, I, we had this discussion on when we talked about what movies to review for the podcast and I drew the line at Sweet November. I think if Charlie <laughs> Theron is 
is like the woman who's dying of cancer. It is the absolute worst. And I, I don't recommend anybody see it. it. It should just be wiped from IMDb as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> How about give me the gi- give me the kind of movie that will eventually win him his Oscar? Oh, my goodness. I really hope that he wins an Oscar for one of the action thrillers that he does, because not enough people really appreciate the amount of talent and skill and dedication you have to put in to be able to do to do those fight scenes. That stuff is not easy and definitely as an industry, it does not get respected. I'm going to go best supporting for like old um like stepfather or like lovable <laughs> uncle or something like that we'll see <laughs> yeah he he you know adopts a bunch of refugees or something it's coming <laughs> <laughs> well as we close out how do you sum up your overall connection to him now not just as actor entertainer but as pop cultural force i mean as someone who is has d- dived into that world where do you feel like he you know, he has made the deepest imprint on on pop culture for you. Most importantly, as a pop culture figure, even as an actor or as a person, it kind of represents the way for people to try to live authentically in their daily lives. I, I think that's really just the most important thing. Um, all his acting work is great. He's brought, you know, he's he's done so many great films and all of that is really important. But culturally, what people are connecting with and what I connect most with is that need to try to be authentic in a world that tries to get you to just put up artifice after artifice. And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media, they all do interesting things. And then we, the fans, say... Stop being interesting. You're being a locker room distraction. Get back to watching game film. I mean, Joe and I know that is ridiculous. So on this show, we've always celebrated locker room distractions by telling you what's been distracting us. By the way, quick update to the intro. Joe, you've got some breaking news about what that Keanu film was called. (laughs) All right. Now, take this take this source uh, at its word. It's comicbook.com. But it says uh, at one point, the John Wick franchise wasn't named after its titular character. Uh, the movie was going to be called Scorn, S-C-O-R-N. Scorn. And so the, I guess that's the title of the movie. So John, so Keanu's out there. The movie's going to be called Scorn, but he's just saying John Wick this, John Wick that. And the producers, yeah, they wisened up and they were like, wait, we're getting all this free promo of him saying his character's name. So I guess they didn't change the name. They changed the title of the movie. But can you imagine if it had been called Scorn? Uh, no. I mean, Scorn it's, 3, I, I, it just doesn't work for me. I don't know if that's worse or better than Neil, but either way. <laughs> All right, Joe. So I'm gonna. the floor is yours to go first. Uh, lots of direction you can go with this since I haven't spoken to you on this podcast in two years. So <laughs> what's, <laughs> what's been on your mind, buddy? <laughs> oh, man. So I, uh, I mean, we're, we're all living in the... Uh, the ever-present quarantine lifestyle. So I, I feel like I had to talk about what's been distracting me lately. And the thing I've gotten into in the last two months, like millions of Americans, has been bread making. Um, I don't know if you tried your hand at this, Brad. Everyone's making a sourdough starter. I feel like sourdough <laughs> has gone from, um, you know, hip and trendy and cool. And it's it's already crested and fallen. It's already gone through its entire life cycle of popularity. But I'm still riding the wave. I made two loaves this morning. My wife's taking the second one out as we speak. Um, 
Oh my gosh, I could I could talk about how th- how the many ways that this is so satisfying, but it's just been so much fun to learn about uh, the process and keep this little weird culture creature kind of like a pet thing alive. Um, you're working with your hands. It can take up as much or as little time in your day as you want. You can kind of fit it around your schedule. Um, yeah, so it, it's just, uh, it's been a super fun hobby that you can eat and enjoy and gift and improvise with and learn from. And so um, bread making, Brad, that's what I'm into. That's what I'm into. All right, Joe, Just Not Sports is a bastion of journalistic uh, excellence. So I'm going to ask some tough questions here. Please, 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 please. I've got notes ready, I think. We'll see what you come with. All right. So the prep process. So you, you're talking about like, do you sort of start with the ingredients and just sort of like let it marinate on its own for a while? It kind of, uh, look, I, and I say this is someone who, me and baking is a no-go, bro. I, 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 sure. I cook. I cook for my family. I cook for my, my girls all the time, but I don't bake for shit. So help me walk through when you say like you kind of had this little cultured thing. What's that process? Are you like putting in a right. jar outside in the sun for two weeks before you work with it? hundred uh, percent. Not quite, <laughs> but <laughs> that's exactly hundred percent. Also update, not 100% correct. That's not it at all, but you're not too far off. So the way that I started, um, I mean, you can, you can find recipes and instructions online out the wazoo, but uh, uh, a sourdough starter is basically a culture where you mix. Um, I started with bread flour and bread flour and water. And so you mix these two together and yeah, you're feeding it constantly over the process of a few days. And so what happens is when you mix the water and flour together in your mason jar, your Tupperware, something that can breathe, um, what happens is the bacteria that are existent in the air and sort of the microorganisms that might exist in the flour itself feed on the sugars uh, and the nutrients in the flour and the water, and they start to grow a culture. Um, so you, I, you've sometimes heard like, you know, um, San Francisco sourdough is kind of this famous thing. They're known for their sourdough bread. And a lot of people attribute the San Francisco sourdough taste to what's in the air, right? If you took the same sourdough starter from San Francisco and flew it to New York, within a couple of days, you would imagine it's now absorbed New York bacteria from the air. Uh, and it's become a different, different creature. It's become a different animal. So I started one of those. Takes a couple of days. Mine took a couple of weeks. Just I'm adding a little bit of water, adding a little bit of flour, mixing it, trying to foster this growth. And eventually, I came out one morning, and boom, my goop had turned into this like bubbly, fermented, kind of sour, kind of tangy, kind of bready smelling sourdough starter culture. Um, so yeah, it was like a crazy process of kind of seeing this come to fruition. And then from there, you basically take that, mix it with more bread, more or, uh, more flour, more water, and it bubbles up and, and becomes your loaf. And then you throw it in the oven and bada bing, bada boom, you got bread. That's a way of simplification, but um, yeah, you got to take care of it. You got to keep it alive. Otherwise those bacteria will go dormant or they, they could die off and you don't want that. So in the middle of a viral pandemic you were like let's start messing with bacteria in my home let's get funky man let's get funky <laughs> absolutely what's but it, your, it really is satisfying it really is what's your take on how to eat that then so are you just like carving it up eating it like by itself are you making it like the centerpiece of like a meal with some soups or dippers what, what, when you've slaved over a creation like that for so long 
How do you not just take it for granted? Oh, yeah, well, now that's the, that's a good point, because so what we did early on, I mean, I went in hard for the in the first like week or two. And my wife and I went and we bought a 50 pound bag of bread flour. That's a lot of bread <laughs> flour. That makes a, makes a lot of loaves of bread. And you find out quickly after that, even though you're very ambitious, you cannot eat that much bread. So the baking has slowed a little bit. But we're giving a lot away. But I mean, fresh out the oven, you let it cool for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. A nice fresh slice with butter, a little bit of salt on there, maybe. Woo, it's so good. The other thing we do a lot of homemade grilled cheese, easy, a lot of open face sandwiches, avocado toast has been awesome. Uh, the other thing that I've done a few of is rather than just like a nice sourdough loaf, I'm putting a few things in it. So I made a jalapeno cheddar loaf. So it's just mm. like cubes, cubes of cheddar chunks, pickled jalapenos. You just work it into the dough like you normally would. Um, and you, ju- you just straight out the oven. That is just a, an amazing snack. So while I say you can't eat that much bread, it's amazing how quickly when you do have the time and you haven't had bread in a while, a loaf can just disappear in a matter of hours. Um, so sometimes we're giving them away and sometimes we're just polishing them off in in four hours once they come out the oven. I imagine that's going to happen today. Now, are we talking about this being a gateway to other baking, Joe? Well, that's <laughs> that's really interesting. So what's happened because I've had this, so my wife is an avid baker. She would always bake stuff to give to family, to give, bring into the office. She's known for her skills in the in the kitchen. But what she's appreciated about this is two things. One, now she has access to sourdough starter that she can kind of experiment with recipes, right? So instead of using yeast in your cinnamon roll recipe, what if you use sourdough starter culture? Because it's kind of a similar thing. It's this bacteria, you know, kind of comes alive and leavens the leavens the dough or pizza dough or waffles or pancakes or whatever it is. So she's like that. And then the second thing she's liked about it is the fact that I was never a baker, but now I have such an appreciation for baking that she, I, there's, I appreciate what she has been through and all the utensils and tools and trinkets we have in our kitchen. She's like, now you understand why I value these so much. I was like, you're right. I do. I have a new appreciation for what she's been doing. Joe, so that's I, been fun. I love it, man. I love to hear this. I love the new creative side of you. And uh, I'm looking forward to you mailing me some uh, sourdough. Oh, my gosh. We can put a – I won't put a loaf. I'll just put a single slice in the mail for you. Um, no, what I and, want is uh, I want the culture. <laughs> I want it to ride on the airplane and pick up whatever it's going to take. And then, you know uh, – Oh, my – hey, that's – I mean, that's a real thing. People are sending cultures, or you can dry it out. and I can dry some out and send it to you, Brad. We can do a follow-up in a couple weeks, and uh, once this has taken over your life and you're neglecting your children just because you're baking so much bread. <laughs> That's um, going to be a hard return to sender right there. Like, just <laughs> not open, a stamp on it that just says, like, nope. Immediately after Brad says, I've connected with my children during the quarantine. I'm, I'm going to come in and ruin it with bread. No, no, no. But, yeah, it's been awesome. Um, and uh, we'll see what's next. I, I'm, I'm still loving it. Uh, still experimenting. Definitely still learning, but... Uh, yeah, I think today was loaf number 22 and 23 in the last two months. So that's, that's a pretty good average, I think. Nice. All right. Yeah. All right. Great distraction. Back on the horse. Joe yeah. Reed. Uh, coming oh in my hot. gosh. Coming in strong. All right. <laughs> Here's my distraction. And I was going to say, what do you got, Brad? I, I want to apologize to the listeners of the show because I haven't actually done this yet. I should have probably saved this until I, uh, I actually pulled it off. But later today, we have to tape a video for my wife's friend who's turning 40. 
I, I feel like, by the way, Joe, I feel like I'm at that age now where everybody I know is turning 40. And it's kind of like that that stretch where everyone you know gets married in the same mm, 18 yeah. months. Yep. So um, someone's turning 40 and we're supposed to send her like a funny video, like kind of wishing her happy. So my wife's like, you know, we get, an, we get an order of food delivered to the house. And I'm like, who got the six pack of like Coors Light cans? And my wife goes, yeah, for that video, I figured we could do the garage door chugging challenge. And I'm like, what? What the so hell is that? Here's, here's what it is. And I thought we could maybe strategize my approach, Joe. Ooh, I have a guess, but I want to hear it first. Okay, go. You, you, tape, you tape two beers to your garage door from the inside, and you stand on the inside, and you hit the button. And the, the beers start to go up, and they're open, and they just start to go up. And then as they get up to the curve, you know, they start yep, to yep, pour yep, out. Yep. And then you have to just do your best to... Catch the beer in your mouth as it's pouring from your garage ceiling. Got it. And you're, you know, so, so, so you and moving. your wife are, you, yes, it's, it's good. They're just going up. We're, it's curving around now. It's on the ceiling. You and your wife each have a, a respective beer duct taped to the door. And you're basically, you're just getting beer poured on you for, for presumably the last few feet of that, of that process. Yeah, presumably, yes, Joe. I'm expecting to be doused in beer. That's why I have not, <laughs> not showered yet today. Um, so give me, let's just think this through. And I'll update the listeners uh, after the next episode. What do you think my approach should be? Because I'm guessing the first thing that goes wrong is that people try to get under the, the beer from the jump instead of letting it pour, getting a feel for where it is, and then getting in and trying to match its pace, right? The thing you, I think you're exactly right. The thing you don't want to do is be behind the curve, be behind the stream. You want to be, you don't want to be one second behind. You want to be one second ahead, right? Otherwise you're getting it. If you're behind, now you're getting it in your eyes. You're getting it in your face. I'd rather be getting it on my, you know, your chest, your chin. That way you can work into it more. I think you're absolutely right. Let it go. Let the stream go a little bit, then step into it rather than trying to catch up. Right. Yeah, that'd that be my thoughts. Although even I mean, take a open a can of beer or any can of anything, and you hold it up and you just you know pour a can of whatever into your sink. It's not a it's not going to be a smooth stream. It's going to be, it's turbulent. You know what I mean? It's. I feel like when you, yeah. especially if it's moving that quickly, um, I don't know. That's interesting. I also wonder: Are you going to get all the? I guess you're going to get most of the beer out if it goes fully horizontal at the top of the garage door opening. I don't know. I'm curious how this will work. I yeah, guess it dude. also depends on how fast your garage door is. I know. In fact, I, I think it's going to be a little weird to even try. To, I, I, I was even thinking, like, where do I tape it? I'm going to have to go online and watch other people do it. Um, and you know what? No. Why should I do that? I would make my wife do that. It's her, it's her friend. It's her thing. <laughs> her idea. Um, so, Joe, uh, with this in mind, what's the weirdest thing you've seen people do in quarantine because i've seen these videos a couple times since folks have been stuck home you know the same way with people you know like jim nance and uh you know joe buck narrating everyday events we've seen a lot of like funny memes is there any like stuck at home memes that have uh taken off for you oh man that's a good question um joe have you gotten on tiktok by the way just not sports is on tiktok <laughs> oh god don't tell my wife um, she can, she can hear me in the other room. She's, uh, she has gotten on TikTok. 
And as a result, I have got She's laughing hysterically and nodding. As a result, I have been exposed to TikTok. Um, I don't have an account, but boy, if I go through our WhatsApp feed, I don't know how many links, you know, I feel like she goes to bed before me sometimes and I'll know that she's settled in and snuggled in when my phone starts blowing up with TikTok links of her right before she goes to bed, sending me all these, you know, crazy cat videos and whatnot. So I'm not on it. But what 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 kind of content is just not sports producing for TikTok? Oh, I got it. Sh- I got to check this out. None, dude. I I just got it so I could watch things. Um, oh, that's and you got to get the name. You got to lock down the name. I did get I the mean, name. I you know, look, man. I. I'm an early adapter. Remember when Just Not Sports was on Beam? <laughs> oh, yeah, way, ahead, way ahead of the curve. <laughs> I was like, what if I'm like in the beta group for Beam? Like, this thing's gonna be huge. Uh, oh my gosh! Yeah, you were first thousands, thousand subscribers <laughs> for sure. Yeah, so um, I, I will keep the listeners posted on how I do in the Garage Door Beer Challenge, and Joe, you will keep the listeners posted in how you're doing in avoiding outbreak two from your endless supply of bacteria cultures within your apartment. Perfect. Perfect. I can't wait for the update in a couple weeks. (laughs) Joe, dude, this was super fun. We'll we'll, we'll end the show our our traditional way with some shout outs. First of all, let me shout out Hamel Javeri from USA Today. Go read her work. Really interesting, provocative, great writing on sports and culture. Also, check out her podcast, 10 Movies. Uh, I think the latest season was Matthew McConaughey films. Um, I mentioned they had done Keanu as well. Um, That's a lot of fun. And uh, I'm going to shout out anyone who's taken the garage door challenge and done better than their wife, because I'm guessing I will not be that person when I do this later today. And my wife is, as we all know, uber competitive. And uh, it's probably not in my best interest to actually beat her in this anyway, Joe. (laughs) Yeah, shout out to all the garage door repairmen who are going out, pulling pulling out beer cans from people who poorly mounted them or getting jammed in weird, weird edges. Um, I'm going to I'm going to do a shout out that's related to my distraction. I'm going to shout out my mother-in-law, Nancy, for being a a font of knowledge. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think I've, I've talked to her more in the last two months than I, than I have ever, just because she is such a good baker, so resourceful uh, and so willing to chat. Now maybe she's zoomed out and she's like, Oh my gosh, this guy's sending me his bread pictures. Who knows? But she's been so <laughs> helpful. Um, I wouldn't be where I was today as a professional sourdough baker without her. So shout out, Nancy. Love you. And uh, shout out to Gareth. Uh, hope you're feeling better this yes. week. Also got some fun interviews cooking. And Joe, dude, just great to hear your voice, my brother. Brad, so good to be back on and talk to you and hear your voice. This is awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, Joe, you know what we got to do now. In the immortal words of one Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers. They booty. Still got it, Joe. You still got it. <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs>